You're listening to the Weekend Warrior Show, presented by Cedar Sinai on ESPN LA 710 and the ESPN app. What's going on, LA? This is Kobe Bryant. Oh my God, that's amazing. Start your weekend off right, listening to the Weekend Warrior Show with Dr. Clapper. I'm too much Scheidenfreuding. Every Saturday morning from 7 to 9 a.m. on ESPN 710, home of your Los Angeles Lakers. Well, the point of it is, is that it's amazing if you've got one hip or one knee, the right side versus the left, it takes, it's not uncommon that if I fix one or you've got problems in one, that you do to have problems on the other side. So respect father time. I'm writing another book. Stop exercising. You're killing yourself. As you Age, you better exercise differently. You can do whatever you want in your 20s. Run all you want. But you better think twice about running and pounding on your joints when you turn 40 and 50. Time to adopt the bike and the pool, the elliptical. Yoga, Pilates, Tai Chi. You want to keep your body so you don't need an orthopedic surgeon in your life. At 8.15, my guest calling in are part of one of the coolest companies, a wetsuit company, Excel, that's truly changing the world of surfing and water sports because they're making their wetsuit from materials that are not oil-based, not petrochemicals, but from limestone and bamboo, game changers, Excel wetsuits. I can't wait to talk to them at 8.15. But it made me think all week because you know how much I love the world of art, the world of sports, and the world of surgery. Where do we see those game changers? Where do we see those folks who got up one morning? They're not engineers, but they just said, we need to build a better mousetrap. Well, in the world of sports, the man who really started it all by going body surfing in the 1930s in the Pacific Ocean and realized, I love surfing, riding the waves, body surfing at the time, later board surfing, but it's freezing. And he changed the world by coming up with the design of a wetsuit. His name was Jack O'Neill. Let's hear about him and his journey of a game changer in sports. Let's listen, number one, to Jack O'Neill. I got started surfing. God, this was in the 30s. And I just got a, a ride on a body surfing, just a straight in ride. And I can still see that that ride, and it's the idea stuck with me. And when I've gotten away from the beach, it's always thinking about about the surf. Jack O'Neill, born in 1923, he lived to be 94 years old. Passed away in 2017. What a prince of a man he was. Let's listen more to Jack O'Neill, the game changer, and coming up with the wetsuit. 19 uh, number two. We tried everything. Uh, we were sitting on a board with a wool sweater. If you get the sweater wet, then you got all that cooling by evaporation. 
I used to go around to, uh, <clears throat> there were a lot of uh, surplus stores in those days. And I'd go to see what the military, Navy, SEAL team and stuff. Next. And I um, I got some of their, their suits and what they had, you put long underwear on, then you put uh, rubber over the top of that. This is just a sheet rubber, like an inner tube rubber. And you put it together here in the back or some way. It was great as long as it lasted. It was good for going in and out. You know, you go under the surf and stuff. But to go out there and surf in it, it always come apart. And when that would come apart, it get filled with water. Jack O'Neill was not an engineer. He took some physics in high school, like all of us. He was not someone destined to change the world by inventing something. But what do they say? Necessity is the mother of invention. Number four. I had taken physics, and I knew what the K-factor, and the, how the refrigeration, um, keeping it warm and cold. And I started out making a, a vest. That worked okay, but it was kind of like a straight jacket because the foam did not have enough tensile strength. So I put some sheet plastic over the top. It had to be close-fitting because you had insulation through the material, but if you get too much water in and out, you'd lose your warmth value. And that's what's so exciting for me to talk about my guests at 815. They've taken it to the next level with XL wetsuits. Let's listen more. Number five, Jack O'Neill. I don't think there's anybody more surprised than I am. I remember one of the guys on the beach. He says, O'Neill, you're going to sell the five guys on the beach, then you're going to be out of business. <laughs> he had the last laugh, that's for sure. And finally, number six. I thought when I started that I was going to have a surf shop, a few friends to surf with, and enough to get, hopefully enough to get by on. But uh, it's just <clears throat> got in at the right time. Timing is everything. He's so humble and so self-deprecating, and he's a hero. He's on the Mount Rushmore of surfing, that's for sure. And we'll learn more about wetsuit innovation at 815. What about in art and in music? Who's the game changer? You got to hear this. This is Ringo Starr and Paul McCartney talking about playing in August of 1965. And they couldn't hear because of the crowd noise. And the speakers, they were able to play because Ringo Starr memorized the body language of John Lennon and Paul McCartney. He's sitting in the back, and when the shoulder went up, he knew it was this point of the song. It was 30 years later, though, that someone named Jerry Harvey invented in-ear monitors. But let's first listen to the interview with the Beatles about the problem that needed the game changer, the Beatles, number one. At New York's Shea Stadium in August of 1965, they played before 56,000 fans. When you started playing stadiums, arenas, did you plan for that in any way? No, not really. I don't think we planned for anything, you know. We just went on with what we had. They had only two roadies. One of them, Mal Evans. All our equipment had to be big enough so Mal could carry it. 
the noise was was constant. Yeah. It it never abates. No. Jerry Harvey became a roadie for Van Halen. You'll learn about that coming up. Number two. I mean, at first, that screaming was great because it meant we were a success. It was just like, she loved... Ah! It was like, hey, whoa! <laughs> and after a while, it was like, I can't hear you. Wait a minute, you know... But it had become part of it. Yeah. It was like, that's what happens when we go on stage, this is what happens. Yeah. And but we did diminish a little as musicians, though it sounds good. And finally, number three, listen to the problem and how Ringo Starr solved it. But why does it sound good? How could it sound that good when you couldn't hear yourselves? We you played our best no matter what. Mm -hmm. And I couldn't hear them. You I, couldn't hear I them. I was playing, you know, to his foot tapping, to John's bouncing, you know, and when they went. I couldn't hear that. <laughs> I just saw the head. Oh, it's the you knew it was time for I knew sing a song called Boys Ringo and the thing is though because we put in so many hours as kids mm. we instinctively knew what to do as a band and now let's hear the man who game changed the world of music Jerry Harvey He's 19 years old, living in St. Louis. There's a big concert, Sammy Hagar, 1980, Bush Stadium. He's 19. Listen to the story of Jerry Harvey and how it all got started with his red Trans Am. Number two. I was driving down the road. I was uh, had a red Trans Am. I was in like 1980, right? And uh, I get pulled over, and this guy was a promoter rep for Contemporary Productions. He says, hey, Sammy Hagar's playing uh, Bush Stadium on Saturday, and we need to drive him to drive your car out onto stage because he's got a song called Trans Am, right? So I was like, all right, whatever, you know, I want to get into the show, so I'll go down. Sounds legit. So, yeah, so he showed me his card, so I was like, yeah, I'll show up. So I showed up, they they let me in. And, and number three. They go, well, we're going to introduce you to Sammy Hagar. I was like, all right, great, you know, and uh, so I walk up, and uh, I go, hi, I'm Jerry. He goes, hi, I'm Sammy, and uh, basically kind of dismissed me a little bit. Hey, thanks for letting me use your car, and I'll get out of here, kid, you know. So uh, so he <laughs> drives it out on the stage, and it kind of became like a little bit of an urban legend in St. Louis, right? But um, So that was kind of my first introduction, and I, was, I saw the big rock show, and I saw, you know, I was realized that if I got really good at mixing, maybe I could get to that level someday. So, Just like Jack O'Neill thrown into the mix, happenstance, number four. Fast forward to like 1984, I'm sitting in, and uh, kind of got discouraged. Uh, I'll keep this short if I can. And uh, I was going to just start doing a normal day gig because the bands weren't paying any money. I was starving to death. And I went and saw the Van Halen 1984 show. They, they played two nights. So at the end of the show, I was just blown away. I was like, I think I want to do sound engineering again. And uh, so I'm sitting at this little bar called bar Bogart's on the Landing on the Riverfront. And I look to my left, and David Lee Roth sits down right next to me, right? And I was like, wow, you know, so we sit down, and... Uh, and number five? I start talking to him about how, you know, martial arts and stretching. I never even said a word to him about, about rock and roll, even though I wanted to go... Yeah, I knew who he was, absolutely. <laughs> I just saw him on stage. I actually wanted to ask him for a job, but I didn't, right? But So 18 months later, I'm actually working for him because I met a gentleman that was a drum tech... Uh, for him, and uh, 
he was with the Beach Boys, and when Dave left Van Halen, uh, he introduced me to the Dave camp, and I ended up 18 months later working for Dave. So it's kind of a weird, a weird thing, right? So this is like eight, 1986 or so. And number six? And then in 95, I start working for Van Halen, right? So I'm working for Dave. I'm working for Van Halen. Neither know that I'm working for the other because I didn't want to get fired. So, you know, so that's kind of how it kind of just intertwined. And then in 95, when I was working for Van Halen, we decided to put Alex on in-ears, and that's kind of how Ultimate Ears started. Amazing. Number seven. Basically, so, the, so I hear the story is that so Alex and Eddie came to you and said, we're basically going deaf. What do we do, right? Yeah, well, it was what happens. It was well, Alex was was going deaf because he had Eddie's guitar cabinet blaring behind him. He had these two big PA systems uh, behind him, so he's had you know he was just getting killed with uh, volume, and it sounded really bad out front because all this stuff is going through the drum mics. Uh, they wanted to to save the rest of Alex's hearing, so we decided to try to put him on. Now I can hear you. Well, it didn't go so well because he's you know even though he had had some. You know, he'd been around loud music. The guy's got an amazing ear, and he can hear tonality and everything else. So as soon as there was two companies back then that, that in the uh, beginning had started putting basically either a balanced armature uh, in a silicone mold or a, basically a Sony diaphragm in a mold and called them, you know, in-ear monitors. And number nine? So we, we get him a set of each, and he listens to the first set, plays about four four beats, takes them out, throws them down, puts the second set in. Plays about four beats and goes, these things sound horribly. He goes, you know, I suggest we find something better. And I said, well, they don't make anything better. And he goes, well, maybe you should figure out how to make something better. Then he gets up and walks off his drum kit. So maybe you should make something better. Starts out as a 19 year old kid driving a Trans Am. Now he's supposed to be the smartest sound engineer that the world ever saw. But guess what? He did. Number 10. That's kind of how I started down the path. I never. It all comes back to Van Halen. Yeah, I didn't want to build anything. I never thought about it, but it was just, I was kind of instructed, you know, to do it, and I wanted to keep my gig. So, you know, I decided I was going to build something that sounded better. And listen to how he did it: taking pieces of a hearing aid, and also from a hard pacemaker. No normal engineer would ever think of doing that, but that's because it's a blessing not to be an engineer, because then you can think crazy things and literally change the world. Number 11. I realized, you know, by starting to experiment with uh, the components that one component couldn't do the complete frequency response from lows to high. You could have, with the balanced armature, it was kind of a hearing aid driver, basically a hot-routed hearing aid speaker. You could get uh, you could get good lows, not lows, but low mids, mids, and highs, but no real sub-bass. And then with the, the diaphragm speaker that's in a Sony bud, you get nice lows, but you couldn't get any top-end extension. So, Number 12. I realized that, you know, looking up at the PA system, it wasn't rocket science. I was like, well, you know, we've been putting multiple, you know, lows, mids, and highs with crossovers in big, big speakers. Why can't we do it in a miniature earphone? So... I started just researching and trying to find miniature components and uh, landed a gentleman named Rick Zanardo at a company called Knowles, became my liaison, and uh, he was sending me samples. I would put them on the analyzer with, it was modeling clay and an analyzer mic and, you know, shoot pink noise through it and see what the frequency response was. Number 13. So I found a driver that was suitable for mids and highs, but I couldn't find a driver that had the capacity for live performance for low frequency uh, uh, reproduction. So I get a call from Rick. He goes, "Hey, I I found this thing in the armature uh, 
armature cemetery. He goes, it's a pacemaker uh, speaker. He goes, what it's for is if uh, if someone has a pacemaker, it has to emit a 140 dB tone or 130 dB tone through their chest to let them know that they're going to get a zap so they might want to sit down, right? So I was like, cool, send it to me. So I shoot pink noise through it, you know, and all of a sudden I'm like, wow, this thing's a perfect bass driver, right? So then I made a little crossover and popped him into Alex's ears. He smiled and I was like, wow, you know, so that's kind of how that just, you know, it was just trial and error and, you know, a lucky call from Rick and and that's kind of how it all came together. And that was the first UE5, the uh, first two-way in-air monitor. That's the great Jerry Harvey. What an amazing story about changing the world in music. Jack O'Neill in sports. Neil Elitrosh in surgery. We're about to talk to people who are involved with changing it yet again. XL wetsuits. Coming up next, we're going to be talking to Lance Varon and Courtney Kincaid from XL. You're listening to the one and only Weekend Warriors Show here on 710 ESPN. You're listening to the Weekend Warriors Show presented by Cedar Sinai on ESPN LA 710 and the ESPN app. What's going on, LA? This is Kobe Bryant. I love this guy. Start your weekend off right, listening to the Weekend Warrior Show with Dr. Clapper. Robbie, come with me. We're going to fix the toilet. Every Saturday morning from 7 to 9 a.m. on ESPN, 710, home of your Los Angeles Lakers. Welcome back, Weekend Warriors. That's Van, Van Halen. Ain't talking about love. Wow. Well, thanks to Van Halen, the game-changing idea of in-ear monitors came about. And thanks to XL Wetsuits, the idea of making neoprene from something other than oil has come about. And right now I'm so excited to talk to Courtney Kincaid and Lance Varon from XL Wetsuits, a wetsuit that I tried last Sunday going surfing and caught one of the best ways I've ever caught in Ventura. Lance and Courtney, thanks so much for getting up early to be with us. Uh, thank you very much for having us. Is Courtney on there? Because... I appreciate it. Yep. Are you there, Courtney? Well, let's go to you, was, uh, Lance. Uh, tell us okay. Tell us the story of XL Wetsuits. When did it start? Who started it and why? Okay, let me start off with the beginning where it was Ed Diascoli, a, a surfer from New Jersey who was passionate about surfing and followed his dreams. And he started traveling from Jersey down to Florida to Barbados and just was having the time of his life, enjoyed surfing, had the passion, the, the surf bug, if you will. And then he made his way to the West Coast, glassing surfboards, and then partnered up with a Japanese brand of wetsuits and out of Oceanside and started doing victory wetsuits with another partner, Greg Wade, and the Japanese counterpart. And so they were doing that for a number of years, and then he decided, I'm going to keep going west and go to Hawaii. So he decided to go to Hawaii, and out of his bedroom, started making neoprene lycra pieces out of his, basically, in his bedroom. So he made that for all the locals, and then he started doing some military suits for a local dive shop that had the need. So he's like, hey, I can do that. I got the blind stitch machine. And next thing you know, he's doing a big dive business early on. And then from there, wow. he just grew like from a bedroom setting to a 600 square foot office to now 
a worldwide business. And so um, hats off to a guy who just put everything on the line and pulled it off. And how did you get involved, Lance? What's your story? Where are you from? What did your dad do for a living? So my dad was a, kind of an engineer. He worked on computer mainframes at or Hughes Aircrafts, Rockwell, you know, Boeing back in the day and all that aerospace. And we grew up in Huntington Beach. He was one of those guys who grew up in L.A., um, and all of a sudden he says he's moving to Orange County, and everybody's like, Orange County, the boondocks, what are you doing? <laughs> so in 64, he bought that house, and, you know, so obviously being in Huntington Beach, you know, I took up surfing right away, and that was my passion. So I started surfing a lot. I was going to be a fireman, realized, well, I worked at a surf shop. So the surf shop was really my foundation. So I worked for a local shaper named Carl Hayward at Huntington Beach on Main Street, and he was a really well-famous mm-hmm surfer in the 70s for the rocket fish innovations and stuff and so we were a custom surfboard builder and i was writing for excel during those days and then i in 1989 i started repping working in sales and handling all the sales in california for him and so this has been a run since then so it's a good 30 30 plus years of uh excel wetsuits for me but have you enjoy, have you listened to any of the show have you enjoyed hearing about oh, jack o'neill Absolutely. We have the hugest respect for O'Neill and Jack and all the team over there um, because they're as passionate as we are. Everybody, what's great about having Jack O'Neill and the competition in the marketplace is we all strive to do better. And the winner is the consumers. You get the people in the water, yeah. they win because we're all innovating. We're all getting better at our skills. You know, I can th- can't thank you guys enough uh, and Jared Abrams for making this happen. And I, I had know. the pleasure of wearing one of your wetsuits uh, last Sunday when I went surfing. I've never worn another brand until le- this past Sunday, and it was fantastic. But what's so intriguing to me is you make it out of a different material. Talk about a game changer. How do you make r- a- a neoprene out of a rock and out of bamboo or whatever else it is? What is that all about? Well, first off, there's different components to Neoprene. So when you think of neoprene, neoprene is actually the foam insulator. That is the middle section. It's also coated with a textile or jersey, if you will, on the inside and outside or not on the outside, which would be like a, a, a fine mesh skin on the chest. That's what we call smoothing. Mm. And what's great about smoothie is it's a closed-cell foam. So when it when wind hits you, you don't even feel it. It's nothing. So it mm. really works mm. with the wind shear factor there. But the insulation properties of foam is the fact that, you know, first it's a limestone base. So we can make that foam a lot cheaper, have a lot less stretch, and ruin the environment by using petrochemicals. But we choose to use limestone as a base because that is a lot more eco-friendly. Mm, unbelievable. And, so the, and talk so about the The seat. reason why it's black, real, te- real quick, is the, yeah. oh, sorry, the, 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 the carbon in the foam which is the stabilizer, that is now taking old tires off the road and putting them, using it as the carbon black. So without that black color, that foam would just disintegrate. Hmm. You know, the thing that is, as a surfer, uh, I'm not really a scientist about, you know, the neoprene. Thank God there are people like you who are. But I will tell you, there's nothing worse it takes me back to actually Levi Strauss, who 
uh, invented the genes for the gold uh, diggers in 1849, the 49ers, 1849, who complained that they were in the stream looking for gold and the canvas pants they were wearing would chafe so much. And that's why he mm-hmm. wound, up, wound up getting the fabric from France, a place called Nîmes, and in French, to say from Nîmes, France, it was day from Nîmes. And that's where denim, the word denim comes from, because he changed the world of, of, of jeans by making it out of this cotton that came from France. I don't know, it's a long story, but anyway, the mm-hmm. chafing yeah. that they felt, those early gold diggers, is what led to him changing the world of jeans. And what I was most impressed is you barely feel the seams, the stitching, when you wear one of your wetsuits. And there's got to be some kind of design rationale that you guys are doing to make it a, literally a second skin for a surfer. Tell me a little bit. Teach, teach me a little bit about how do you hide the seams so that the surfer doesn't chafe and doesn't feel the, the, the stitching when you wear that wetsuit? Okay, so that comes back to the original founder's philosophy, which, again, working for, with him for the last 40 years has been to maintain function over fashion. So what we do hmm. is we engineer every theme in areas that are less critical to create chafing, to your point. So in other words, everything's engineered to the body, but there's not extra themes so you could have an extra color panel, if you will. So everything mm-hmm. is done just to have your natural stance is going to be your pre-bent knee contoured in the arms, and then you have a little hip. So everything is engineered mm-hmm. to the body in kind of a more, kind of like a lower stance, not a straight standing stance. So the problem with that on the manufacturing side is that when you're doing curves in your and all those things add up. So when you're cutting big stacks, you have to minimize those. So your production costs go up. But what it does do is create a much better fit and a lot better experience in the water. So you don't feel those seams, to your point. And Lance, do you still surf? Absolutely. Yeah, all the time. And I, I, (laughs) as design director, and I've taken this passion on because – I was in sales for Ed and Greg for a long time in the company. And then when the founder mm-hmm. retired, I took over his role. He said, look, I've been working with you developing suits. You should, t- you, you need to take my role and get out of sales and start doing the product. And I had always worked with him, you know, during the sales process. We need to do this, that, that. And it, and it was great. So, um, I still surf and I test out all these products. I actually bring all these new, mineral-based fiber, the radiant rebound, the channel flex. These are all innovations that I kind of try and see if I can prove they don't work. And when they do work, mm-hmm. I'm always like, huh, that's a game changer. Let's get it out to some athletes around the world in, like, say, northeast where the water's, you know, mid-40s and see what they think, but don't tell them what's in it and see if they mm-hmm. have a positive response. So when I get feedback from suits that I send out that are, like, 5'4s, and they're saying, I don't know what's in this, but I was really warm. I look at that as a win. Yeah. Wow. So, you know, it's a lot of, yeah, there's ahead. a lot that goes into wetsuits. And so, you know, the material from the inside to the outside, the stretch. I mean, today's wetsuits are light years better than they were, say, even six years ago. 
What's the lifespan? How often do I have to get a new one? If you're an avid surfer surfing every day, you're probably looking at getting a new suit once to once a year, once every other year. And that's if you're, I mean, dedicated every day, um, especially with the way the materials are. So these days, there's spandexes in the nylon. There's The suits are so flexible. And that's the other thing is finding that balance because I can make a wetsuit for somebody that can stretch from here to across the street. But is the memory and rebound going to be there? Is the fit mm-hmm. going to be there? Or, you know, so you got to find that balance of having the right amount of materials that make sense to maintain warmth, stretch, and durability. Yeah. What a final question. We only have about a minute left. The idea of using a zipper versus struggling, I'm 63 years old next month, to get into the zipless wetsuit, what's your take on that? Okay, so a bag zip is great, and it's the traditional suit. But the front zip is nice because there's a few key features there. One is zippers don't stretch. So the whole back spine area has maximum flexibility. The second thing is you don't have the Velcro or the closure that could potentially let little seepage of water come through. And you don't have the mm-hmm. zipper head behind the neck when you're in the prone position. So when you get used to a front zip, and there's a technique to get in and out of it, is if you go into a neckline of a open, you know, mousetrap front zip, you can grab the armpits, flip it inside out, and it's like putting a pair of pants on. Then you get the one sleeve in and then the other sleeve, and it's really a game changer when you use it. Now, I'm, I'm happy with back zips also, but I would say not having a zipper is a lot more functional as far as comfort goes. Mm-hmm. Have you become – how old are you now, Lance? I'm 56. Have you become a longboarder or are you still riding shortboards? I still read my six two. <laughs> well, for the, for the weekend warriors listening, Lance is extremely flexible. <laughs> and I'm fighting that longboard. Although I will say, there's days I do take a longboard out to stay in the water, but most of the time it's on my shortboards. Yeah, because you can duck dive. Are you still surfing Huntington Beach? Is that where you live? Yep, Huntington Beach. I live right down, right on, right a quarter mile from the beach on South Side. And of the pier, and I surf, you know, there mostly the river jetties or, you know, Bolsa Chica at times, you know. Well, 25 years ago, I got a phone call from a friend of mine who said, it's the winter. You need to surf Huntington Beach with us right by the pier. I took my surfboard, no big deal. I'm a longboarder, and I try to paddle out in this bashing of waves. I nearly <laughs> died, drowned. And then he, he comes up with it. He says, listen, Robbie, here's a great idea. You need to paddle right next to the pilings of the pier because that's actually a safe spot. I'm looking at these giant waves coming at me going, how the hell can it be safe to paddle next to the pier with the waves coming? One big wave, I'm going to get thrown into the pier and kill myself. No, I... that's what, it, and it's a, it's a miracle idea to actually paddle next to the pilings of the pier. But if you can figure out that physics, please let me know. I would say this is that having being next to the pier, it does tend to suck you out kind of nicely and it does protect you from the waves hitting you. So you do get a little deeper right there. So it is a safer part. I've, I've been out there. I'm recalling back in the eighties when we had the giant storms that took down the pier. And I remember being under that pylon getting like being like a pinball, you know, just oh, bouncing God. and it was scary as hell. Yeah. <laughs> crazy. Lance, you know, it's great. 
I don't know you. This is the first time I'm meeting you. But you can tell the passion that you have for a wetsuit. And you yeah. might say, it's just a wetsuit. But you know what? It's your life's calling. This is something you're passionate about and you can tell. And there's nothing greater to do with your life, whatever it is that you do with your life, than to find the passion and the meaning in it. And you certainly have it. You've enriched all of us because you can speak so beautifully about how the world can be a better place because we can surf and not feel that freezing cold water. Thank you. Thank you and Excel for all that you do. You guys are really onto something, and I'm proud to be a surfer wearing an XL wetsuit. Oh, I appreciate it. We all appreciate it. And um, keep doing what you do. You're amazing. Okay. Thanks so much, Lance. I really appreciate Thank it. Thank you. Uh, we'll talk soon. Weekend Warriors coming up next. Let's do some clap revision. The number is 877-710-ESPN. And I got to talk about some more food. I got to talk about what frozen custard. It's called a concrete because you can turn it upside down and it does not leak out of the cup like a milkshake. It's called a concrete. And I'm going to tell you where to get it. Coming up next on the Weekend Warriors Show here on 710 ESPN. You're listening to the Weekend Warrior Show presented by Cedar Sinai on ESPN LA 710 and the ESPN app. What's going on, LA? This is Kobe Bryant. Oh, I want to talk to you. Start your weekend off right. Listening to the Weekend Warrior Show with Dr. Clapper. It's all one big mush. Every Saturday morning from 7 to 9 a.m. on ESPN 710, home of your Los Angeles Lakers. Welcome back, Weekend Warriors. That's a Van Halen song. That's all I know. <laughs> because Van Halen helped change the world of music with in-ear monitors, thanks to Jerry Harvey. The clinic's open. Let's do some clap revision. The number's 877-710-ESPN. Evalia, you're on with Dr. Clapper. How can I help? Hi, Dr. Clapper. First, I want to thank you for staying on the line for so long. I apologize it took so long. Oh, no worries. Thank you so much for taking my call. I love your show. Oh, thank you. What's your favorite story that I've told? Oh, my goodness. You know, <laughs> I, I can't remember. I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm getting up there in age, and my memory how, is... Bad. How young are you? How young are you? I'm 65. Okay. And what did you do for a living? I worked at 3M Company for 34 years. Wow. In Minnesota or here? Here in Camarillo. Camarillo. So you've been in Camarillo a long time. Yes. You know the greatest place to get strawberries in the whole world is in Camarillo at yes. Las Posas Berry Farm. You know that, right? Right. I lived right down for the street from there. Oh, my God. That, it's a family-run and owned business. They're big fans of the Weekend Warriors show. But I'm their biggest fan because when the strawberries are in season and it's getting towards the end where the sweetness is, you know, changing in the strawberry. But it's like nothing you've ever tasted before. Las Posas Berries uh, in Camarillo. Good for you, young lady. I appreciate it. What did your father do for a living? My father worked in the fields. He worked uh, picking lemons and um, wow. flowers. Him and my mom were both very hard Workers, immigrants from Mexico. From Mexico, wow. How many brothers and sisters you got? Five. 
So what was it like? You went to college, right? No, I didn't. You didn't. You went right to the 3M company out of high school? Yes. Oh, my God. And how many years did you work there? 34 years. And you retired? And then you retired? Yes. What are you doing in your retired life? Well, doing Other a than getting bit, injured. Uh, <laughs> pardon me? Other than getting injured and needing an orthopedic surgeon. Yeah, I'm doing gardening and um, Good. a little bit of traveling. I'm, I'm growing corn this year for the first time in my life. And um, an eggplant, which I never grew before. And it's oh, got to be the most exciting thing. Yeah, I love seeing um, fruit, and I'm growing chilies. Oh, what kind of chilies? The um, serranos. Yeah, you have to put them in Kraft macaroni and cheese. I discovered that, and you'll have the greatest macaroni and cheese. <laughs> That's a good idea. <laughs> All right, young lady, how can I help you? Well, I've been having pain in my neck on the left side um by my skull and um, down towards my shoulder. I went and I had an MRI, and they said it's my C5, 6, and 7. I have arthritis, mm-hmm. and um, I have a lot of cracking or popping. Yes, yes. And that causes pain and headaches. Um, so the doctor that I went to, he's recommending kind of like a block first to see if, it, if the shot helps. And if it does, he's recommending uh, burning the nerves. I'm not too sure exactly what the medical terminology is for. It's called a rhizotomy, a rhizotomy. Um, And you know, you listen to the show, so you know how holistic I like to be. How How much I hate cortisone, how much I hate, okay, the nerve is causing a problem. Let's kill the nerve. Are you kidding God gave us a nerve for a reason. I'm not interested in the killing nerve business. Again, this is just my opinion. Okay. One of the greatest things that you can do, and I apologize because we're living in a pandemic right now, but if you could have access to a swimming pool at this point in your life, there's two things I want you to holistically introduce into your life so that you can fight father time to deal with the degeneration. It's cedars, we call it alta cockaritis. You're getting older. You're going to have it in your neck, your lower back, your shoulder, your hips, your knees. I'm an orthopedic surgeon who does 500 joint replacements every year for 31 years because of the ravages of father time in our body. But the greatest way for you to fight it, to slow it down, is the buoyancy of being in a pool. You could just walk in the water. I don't even need you swimming. You don't even have to get your hair wet. But three days a week, I'd love you to discover the pool as a way of getting stronger. The the buoyancy, the resistance on the muscle, it's not going to happen in in a couple of weeks. But I promise you, you do it three days a week, a month, two months into it, you're going to feel like a million dollars. Here's the second thing I want you to do because you're also going to be faced with osteoporosis less calcium in your bone. You can do this during the pandemic. Go on YouTube and start taking classes from YouTube in Tai Chi, T-A-I-C-H-I. It doesn't injure your neck. It doesn't injure your shoulder or your joints. Holding those positions loads your bone. 
teaches your body proprioception and balance, which you're going to start to miss later on in life. This is a project you and I are going to do together. It's going to take months. But you know what? You've lived long enough to, to know one thing. If it's worth anything, it takes time. We live in a society where give me a pill, give me a shot, and make it all better. We live in a society where people say, hey, come to me. I'll stop you from aging. Are you kidding? Stop all that noise. The reality is, is you're going to, with dignity, class, you're going to embrace getting older, but you're going to have to fight for it. And that's the pool, and that's Tai Chi, not shots, in my opinion. Okay? Okay, that's exactly why I called you, because I knew you would tell me exactly that. And I was (laughs) doing water aerobics prior to all of that. Right. Your body is missing it, Ivalia. You're missing that business of being in the water. Hopefully, those doors will start opening up again, and you'll be able to embrace it. And thanks so much. I can tell what a sweet person you are. If you need me, you know where I am. Saturday mornings on ESPN. Uh, I'm always happy to help you. Absolutely. Thank you so much, Dr. Clapper. You have a great day and stay safe. You too. And do me a favor, Valia. I just helped you, a total stranger. You find a total stranger today and do something nice for them. That's how you'll be thanking me. Most certainly. Thank you so much. Okay. All right. Thank you. You too, Valia. All right, Warriors, we'll take a break. Last segment. I got to tell you what's coming up next week. Oh, my God. I cannot wait to tell you all. And I also booked the guest for August 1st going to be the greatest guest we've ever had on the weekend warrior show i'll give you a hint it involves michelangelo oh my god coming up next we'll get into it you're listening to the one and only weekend warrior show here on 710 espn you're listening to the weekend warrior show presented by cedar sinai on espn la 710 and the espn app What's going on, L.A.? This is Kobe Bryant. He's infectious, and I can say that because I'm a doctor. Start your weekend off right, listening to the Weekend Warrior Show with Dr. Clapper. Roberto Clapperio. Every Saturday morning from 7 to 9 a.m. on ESPN, 710, home of your Los Angeles Lakers. Welcome back, Weekend Warriors. All show long, we've been listening to Van Halen. Because Jerry Harvey got started in 19... 19- 80. First was Sammy Hagar and then David Lee Roth, ultimately working for Van Halen. And he dreamed up the idea, mostly because Alex Van Halen, the drummer, asked him, I can't hear anymore. I'm getting deaf. Just like Ringo Starr before him, the drummer for the Beatles, couldn't even hear his bandmates. Thanks to these in-ear monitors that Jerry Harvey came up with, Musicians don't have to worry about that. It was such a pleasure to come up with that topic of game-changing and learn about the great Jack O'Neill, who started us all off with a wetsuit. So did the Maestro Brothers with Body Glove here locally in Southern California. Game-changer, being able to surf wearing a wetsuit. What an interesting topic. And speaking of thank yous, I want to thank the great Brian Crawford, Cedars, Gordon Kolodny, and certainly Tom Prizelak, who runs Cedars, for sponsoring the Weekend Warriors show. So you all get to hear these topics each and every Saturday. And thank you, the Weekend Warrior congregation, for tuning in and telling all your friends. I really appreciate it. Next week, the guest 
comes from the world of shaving your head. The company is called Headblade. And I'm thinking, where in sports, where in art, do we see the idea of putting a razor blade as a ring on your finger so that you can feel the contour of your head and shave it? Because it's such an incredible toy to use, and I shave my head. And if you know anybody who does, what a great gift this would be. It's called Headblade. But where in music and art and where in sports do you see that caressing of the sphere touching the surface of the skin? It's only Saturday, but I'm already thinking about next Saturday. And maybe it'll be Dick Weber in the world of bowling. I used to watch him as a kid on ABC Wild World of Sports just caressing that bowling ball like he was shaving his head. And what about bongo drums, right? That's a skin. You've got to touch it softly to make music come out of that skin. Those are my thoughts already for next week. But the greatest guest we're ever going to have on this show, I spoke to him yesterday. He's a professor. He's the chairman of the Department of Art History at Washington University in St. Louis. And he's just written his fifth book about Michelangelo. This book is about the last 20 years of Michelangelo's life. Remember, he lived to be 89 years old 500 years ago. These last 20 years of his life, he's working on the Basilica at St. Peter's, the Vatican, the giant dome, which was in all kinds of trouble until the Pope says, you're in charge of this. And how he rescued that. I can't wait to start this book. But more importantly, I can't wait to talk to the professor, William E. Wallace. Turns out he got his Ph.D. at Columbia during the years that I was there as a college and medical student. So our paths probably crossed in some crazy way because I was an art history major And he's getting his Ph.D. in art history from the very professors I took. Oh, I'm so excited. Thank God for this show and thank God for you and thank God for listening. Until next week, I'll see you on the radio. I leave you with Volare, which means I'm singing and I'm flying. (laughs) 